49ers just lost the Super Bowl for the third time in my life. Um, and for the second time in a row in the Super Bowl, they were leading that Super Bowl against, um, you know, one of the best quarterbacks we'll ever see in our time, Patrick Mahomes. And they had him on the ropes and uh, just failed to deliver the knockout punch and ultimately lost. Um, and that's becoming a trend with this era of the 49ers, with this uh, Kyle Shanahan team, this core team that he built. Um, they just aren't able to close in the biggest moments. Uh, it reminds me a lot of a young basketball team who will get ahead, you know, with pure athletics, but the veterans on the other team will understand how important it is to play that fourth quarter perfectly and steal that game from the youngsters. It's really common in basketball. And uh, we're seeing that kind of trend from the 49ers, despite them being in the playoffs pretty much every year, making multiple NFC Championship game appearances and making multiple Super Bowl appearances. So, you know, they're not young guys anymore, uh, but they're still having trouble trying to close these games out. Um, and so I think it comes down to a few things, um, the key players and how they performed in this game, uh, how coaching performed in this game, and then a few big moments that uh, happened in um, multiple times throughout the game that kind of contributed to this all falling apart. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about is the player performances. Um, so starting off with Brock Purdy, I thought he played above average when the offense was actually rolling, when they were you know, doing their thing. Um, the identity of the 49ers football team is running the football, running that zone with Christian McCaffrey, pounding the rock, um, running it to the left too, because that's where our strength is. It's no secret that Trent Williams is an all-time great and Colvin, Colin McKivitz is an all-time you know, let down. He's not very good. So, um, you know, when the Niners were committed to that, it was still a tough. We weren't gaining massive chunk plays after the first quarter, I would say. Getting into the second quarter, it kind of settled down a bit. Um, the Chiefs did start, you know, playing more man defense and bringing more pressure into the run game. But ultimately, when you're committing to the run, that doesn't mean you're only running when it works. It means you're committed to the run and committed to setting up the run. Um, and allowing that to open up the rest of your offense. Um, and the Niners kind of got away from that. Um, one thing I will say about Brock Purdy is that he wasn't able to be the catalyst for the success on his own, but I don't think he should have ever been put in a position to be that. Um, at this point, I don't think it's hating or even rude to say that Brock Purdy's not, he's not in the Mahomes and Josh Allen tier just yet in his career. He's very good. He's 24 years old. He hasn't even played two full seasons yet. Been to two NFC Championship games and, you know, been in a Super Bowl. But he's just not, you know, the guy who's going to be the sole reason your team wins at this point in his career. And he is very young, and this is going to be his first NFL offseason, so he could get to that. But at this point, that's not what he is. Um, and so the fact that Kyle in that third quarter kind of almost tried to force him to be that was really disheartening to see just because um, I think you got to set your players up for success because you know what they're best at and Kyle should know that you know and that's not what Brock is meant to do on this team um, someone who is meant to do that on this team and someone who was doing it to the to an extent for this team was Christian McCaffrey um, overall he played a hell of a game um, he did fumble early on that opening script and uh, ultimately it didn't affect the team too much in the immediate because uh, it was pretty much negated by the defense. But he still did it and the Niners could have took a really early 
7-0 lead in this game if he didn't fumble because that opening script, like Kyle was cooking with that and the team was cooking. Um, I will say though that as the game went on, uh, the O-line started deteriorating. The plays were getting gaining less and less yardage. Um, and so it, ultimately the run game did kind of disappear in that third quarter and come back a bit in the fourth and in overtime. But um, ultimately, I think taking momentum away from the run in the third quarter affected Christian McCaffrey's overall game because I think he could have just kept riding momentum and just kept playing his, his style. It's not like he had a game the next week, either way to worry about. Um, and so my biggest question for this game around Christian McCaffrey is why did Kyle take the ball out of his hands? Um, but I'll get to that later. The next player I want to talk about is Debo Samuel. Uh, he pretty much went ghost this game, and it wasn't because he wasn't in the game plan. He clearly was the game plan this game. Besides Christian McCaffrey, um, Debo got 11 targets, and some of them were, you know, some bad throws by Brock, some missed throws, um, but there also were a good amount that hit his hands, and even if they were lower, um, you know, I was always told if a ball hits your hands, you need to come up with that ball and catch that ball, and he didn't. He also got injured um, in a non-contact play, so I don't exactly know what happened there, but this makes another big game where Debo didn't show up and was injured, and that's kind of been the story of Debo the past couple years. Ever since he held out for a contract, he kind of has not been the same guy, and ever since he got his money, he, he hasn't been the same guy, and um, this game was no different. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was also pretty silent, but I wouldn't put a ton of blame um, for that on Brandon himself. Um, if you watch, you know, if you watch the game, he was getting separation. It's just uh, Purdy wasn't really able to have any time to let Brandon's routes develop because there was constantly pressure in his face from the right side. And even from the left side, I will say Trent Williams did not play very well this game. Not even just from the penalties, just overall, Trent Williams was a bit of a letdown in this game. Um, but yeah, Ayuk was silent, but I wouldn't pin that on him. I would say that that's more so um, an offensive line thing. The wide receiver who shined the most for the Niners in this game was for sure Jawan Jennings. What a player. Um, he would have easily been a Super Bowl MVP on everyone's, he would have got every vote. It would have been the first unanimous Super Bowl MVP from every viewer in the world. Uh, it was crazy. Big time catches, big time throws, threw a touchdown pass this game. Um, wow, I don't even know. that He threw a touchdown, he caught a touchdown, some big first downs on third and Jawan, you know. The usual thing, Jawan Jennings is so good and he's so slept on. And I remember after we lost Kendrick Bourne and Jennings came, people were like trying to compare the two. But I really think Jennings is just in a different tier. He's way better than Kendrick Bourne ever was. And um, he's going to be a restricted free agent and the Niners need to re-sign him because I think he's way too talented. I think if any receiver from the Niners is going to be let go, it would have to be Debo Samuel. I think Ayuk is too special, and that's a future you know, wide receiver one. The Niners can't afford to let that go. And Jennings, it's just he's too clutch. He might not be the biggest name, might not be the fastest guy, none of that, but he's just clutch. And when you've got a guy like that, you, you can't let that go. That's like what Edelman was for Brady. And, you know, it's just that one guy, you know, you can trust on a big third down or something. Jawan Jennings is that guy. So I really, I really hope the Niners keep him soft season and match whatever offers he gets. Um, 
I think the last offensive player I have uh, anything to say about is Kittle, and I don't have much to say. Uh, he went completely ghost this game, including in the run blocking and pass blocking when he wasn't running routes. He just went completely ghost, and then he got hurt. Uh, for all the talk about his vengeance game that this was going to be after 2019, he really didn't do anything. And that really sucks because um, in my game script, I really I expected Ayuk and Debo to be silent. I really did just because of the secondary of Kansas City. Uh, and I really thought this would be a huge game where Kittle would have opportunities to take over. And it was the exact opposite. He was he was not even a factor. Um, for the defense, I don't want to get too into every single player because I do think for the most part the defense played well, especially considering Dre Greenlaw's injury. Um, but I will say that for three and a half quarters, I really thought they were doing an amazing job basically carrying the team because the offense couldn't produce. Um, it was pretty unreal to me that they managed to hold Mahomes to just three points for the first three and a half quarters and the offense couldn't get them more than a seven point cushion that's unacceptable with the team that we have and the coach we have and what the mindset and what the strengths of this team are we should have been winning the game by much more than seven points um and the fact that Wilkes and the defense held Mahomes and the Chiefs to three points for most of the game it's honestly we let the offense let down the defense in this game and I know the defense folded late but for the most part the defense played their asses off and I can't really see myself putting too much of a blame on them at all um, it was really nice to see Jair Brown get a pick um, he did get beat on a deep ball um, that maybe Gibson had better eyes on the play they could have broke it up but it was um, you know Jair's man that got that got open deep so he's still a rookie and he's still learning the ropes but I'm really happy with what we saw from him when he took over for Huff this year and uh, assuming Gibson's gone um, which I assume he will be I am pretty excited to watch Gip I mean not Gip to watch Huff and Jair Brown work together um, next season it should be pretty exciting um, the D-line played great. They were Everybody was generating pressure. Nick Bosa was an absolute madman the whole game. Um, this is like the first time he ever really showed up against the Chiefs, and he, he really played his ass off. Um, Chase Young was giving really good effort. Uh, Eric Armstead was in there. Randy Gregory. Everybody was playing great on the defensive line until they weren't, you know. Um, the linebackers, Fred and, Fred and Dre Greenlaw, were flying around to start the game. And that freak injury by Greenlaw hurts so much because as soon as Oren Burks came into the game, Travis Kelsey got unlocked and it was really tough from there. But that Greenlaw injury is going to haunt the Niners, not just for that Super Bowl, but even going into next season because, um, you know, an Achilles is a pretty serious injury. So he's definitely going to be missing time next season as well, which it's, it's it hurts because what are we going to do? Play Oren Burks. We saw how that went. Play Flanagan Fowles. We, he's not going to fill up for Gray Greenlaw. I know we did draft a guy like D. Winters, but is he going to be able to produce at the level that Trey Greenlaw produces week after week? Probably not. So, um, you know, to me, it, it it's really rough just in the, in the short term and in the long term with this Trey Greenlaw injury. Um, and that's just how I feel overall about the players. Um, another person I want to mention um, is Jake Moody. Uh, I think a lot of people are focusing on the missed PAT, 
which is true. Even if it didn't get blocked, that was looking like a pretty dicey. You can see the dog right there, or right there. Um, it was a pretty dicey PAT attempt um, because it was low and it came off. It looked like it came off almost his ankle. So who knows if it would have went in anyways. But um, I will say in his defense, I've seen a lot of people calling for Robbie Gold and how we should have kept him and we would have won if we kept Robbie. But I will say that the reason that Kyle went out and got Jake Moody is because Jake Moody is really good from that 50 plus range. And um, he nailed a 55 yarder, which for 20 minutes was a Super Bowl record. And he also nailed a 53 yarder. And there's no guarantee that Robbie would have hit those. Robbie was absolutely nails um, from anywhere in the 40, 30 yard range. He's not missing any chip shot or even like, you know, a little bit deeper than a chip shot. But I don't think you can rely and say with 100% certainty that you think Robbie Gold would have nailed from 55 and 53. So I don't put too much on Jake Moody, even though the missed PAT was, you know, a massive blow to the team and it kind of changed the whole trajectory of everything. Um, I don't think you could put too much blame on him. Um, I also want to mention um, Mitch Wisnowski. When we were did punt, he gave us some great deep punts. And Chris Conley on special teams was an absolute demon. He was, an, he was a demon on offense, too. Chris Conley, for all the talk the Niners get about getting carried by all pros like Ayuk and McCaffrey and Debo, Jennings and Conley were some of the biggest stars in this game for me on um, on offense for Jennings and a little bit for Conley and then for special teams Conley was an absolute man madman out there with tackles he had that crazy clothesline which I don't know that was a little iffy to me but also the coverage on the one yard line on the other punt like Chris Conley so many unspoken heroes in this game that deserved the big moment and I really feel for those guys just as much as I feel for anybody because um, you know some guys who normally wouldn't be getting a ton of shine really really overperformed in this game um, and that's something that also makes the whole thing so painful um, but after we're done speaking about players the next logical thing is to move into talking about coaching performance and um, if you follow me on Twitter you kind of already know what I'm gonna say here but I'll start with Kyle Shanahan in my opinion, Kyle Shanahan is the biggest reason why the 49ers lost this game. Um, starting with the end of the first half and how he mismanaged the timeouts when the Chiefs got down to our own to our 10-yard line with over a minute left or maybe just under. It was just right around a minute. I don't remember exactly right now. And Kyle did not call a timeout. Um, if he would have, and the Chiefs, you, you knew they were going to at the very least get three points with where they were on the field and um you can almost guarantee a touchdown in that moment i know that they went ahead and only got three um which makes this decision by kyle even worse but um i think either way you have to assume that when the chiefs have the ball down there they're going to score and you got to use those timeouts and try to give your team an opportunity with time on the clock to kind of answer back because the chiefs are getting the ball back after the half as well and so I think that was the first big blunder on Kyle's side. Um, and the second big blunder from Kyle, and the biggest blunder in my opinion, came right after the half ended when Patrick Mahomes throws an interception to Jair Brown and the 49ers suddenly just abandon the run and go into a spread offense five wide with no one in the backfield. Um, and we've seen that in many games this year from the 49ers. Um, 
and usually it's in games that the Niners lost. We saw it against the Ravens. We saw it against the Browns. Um, not so much during the Bengals, but it's weird. Kyle will go into this offense when it's completely unwarranted, and it's rare that we find massive success here. Um, and so we go with that. We go three and out, and then we actually, you know, the defense stands strong. We get a punt, and Kyle comes out and he starts passing the ball again. We ran nine plays to open the third quarter across multiple drives, and eight of them were pass plays, despite having the offensive player of the year as our running back and the identity of this team since Kyle took over being that we are a running football team. And so that to me is the biggest blunder, and that's the most inexcusable thing that happened um, from any player or any coach or just anybody involved with the team surrounding the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan, yet again, never learning from his mistakes and just abandoning the run. Um, lastly, the third big blunder from Kyle was taking the ball first in OT after the new rules. Um, I know that there's a big story coming around that the players didn't know, which is unacceptable. Like the, the head coach should be preparing their players and having a plan um, with the new rules in mind. Um, but at the very least, Kyle should know that getting the ball first is going to be a bigger advantage. I know he said that he wanted the ball. Um, he wanted to have the ball third, assuming he would score and they match and he gets the shot in sudden death. But you have to think about it more like if we give Mahomes the ball and he knows what he needs, he's going to get that. He's too good. You, you have to give him the ball first and give an opportunity for them to not have four downs. So three downs and a punt and have to trust their defense or to settle for a, be okay with settling for a field goal. You have to give the Chiefs that. You have to give them the uncertainty. As soon as you take the ball first and are unable to score a touchdown and you settle for a field goal, Mahomes knows what he needs. And when you're talking about an all-time great, if they know what they need, that's what they're going to get. And that's exactly what happened. Kyle decided to settle for three and Mahomes knew all he needed was a touchdown to win and that's exactly what he got. Additionally, because he knew that he needed to score, they gave them four downs. Um, and you don't want to do that. Why would you give them an extra down on, every, on their drive? It's ridiculous and I think that's the second biggest blunder of the whole thing was Kyle making that decision. Um, aside from that in play calling, I don't understand why such a big part of the game plan was Debo Samuel up against Trent McDuffie. Um, McDuffie was, is the Chiefs probably best defender outside of Chris Jones and he had Debo absolutely clamped and still Kyle dialed up 11 plays for Debo, which makes absolutely no sense, like at all. I think it's a, another year and another case of Kyle overthinking and choking when the lights are the brightest. He's done it in multiple Super Bowls. He's done it in an NFC Championship game. And he's done it as a play caller in um, you know, the Super Bowl with the Falcons. It's, it's unreal. I've never seen somebody get in their own way so much and just refuse to take the road that's in front of them and overthink themselves into a loss. It's... I'll get. I'll talk more about Kyle and, and what my thoughts are moving forward um, in a bit. But for now, I'm gonna move on to the next coach I wanted to talk about, and that's Steve Wilkes. I think because of how the game ended and how the Chiefs were able to kind of drive the ball at will at the end of the fourth and in overtime, 
there's going to be people, including, if I had to guess, Kyle, who wants to put a lot of this on Steve Wilkes. And I don't think that's warranted at all. Steve Wilkes called an amazing game and destroyed Andy Reid for three and a half quarters. But the thing is, when you're going against an all-time great coach, an all-time great quarterback, an all-time great duo in those two, you have to assume eventually you can't hold it anymore. The best thing you can do is contain them as long as possible and hope that your team can give themselves a cushion for that when those two take off, it's going to be too out of reach by that point to secure a win. And the offense is unable to do that. You hold the Chiefs to three points in the entire first half. And aside from that, you give up one touchdown in all of regulation. It just so happens to come off of a muffed punt. And the offense can't get you any sort of advantage in that game. It's ridiculous to me. <laughs> I, I can't believe that a team that so many people were saying is shifting into an offensive-minded team because we have an MVP candidate quarterback, an offensive player of the year running back, an offensive guru of a head coach, all pros at receiver and tight end, and you can't manage to get your team more than a seven-point cushion when they're holding a goat at quarterback to three points for a majority of the game. It just it just doesn't make sense. And I know that blame is going to get pushed at so many people, including Wilkes, who, again, was really good in this game. But I don't want that Kyle to have another out. Every year, he has an out. And as fans, we talk ourselves into believing that. 19, the out was Jimmy. And, you know, to an extent, it was Jimmy. Um, but if you really break down what put Jimmy in the situation to have to try to win that game, was Kyle taking the ball out of Mostert's hands. Why did Kyle do that? Why does he do it every year? I have no idea. Um, and then, of course, the Brock Purdy injury is one thing. But we also blew a lead in the NFC Championship game against the Rams. We were up 10 points there in the fourth quarter. We ended up choking that away. All the blame went to Jaquaski Tart for dropping that pick. But why did the offense stop scoring points? Like, we had the cushion. Sure, a drop pick to ice the game would have been great. Or catching the pick to ice the game would have been great. But why were we not able to produce more of a cushion? Why is our offense scoring? Why is our offense scoring 30 to 40 points a game in the regular season? and barely hitting the 20-point threshold constantly every postseason. And so I don't want Steve Wilkes to be the next person to catch blame that should be casted at Kyle. I think he played, he called a great game for the most part. His biggest blunder to me was on the third and like medium, third to long, I believe it was like a third and six uh, in overtime when he sent everybody on a, on a blitz and they were able to get a quick little out route to Rasheed Rice. Um, that was a big blunder. I, I have to admit, even Tilly Romo said, no, don't do that. But um, for the most part, I do think that he called a great game. And I think that if the offense had produced a little bit more of a cushion for him, and even if they would have fell apart like they did at the end of the fourth, it should have been out of reach by that time. And it wasn't. So I can't I can't put too much blame on Steve Wilkes. Um, but I did want to move out of talking about individual performances 
kind of just talk about some key moments that I think really shifted the the game's momentum. And I'm not saying that these moments were, you know, the absolute reasons why the 49ers ended up losing. They're just moments throughout the game that shifted momentum to the Chiefs when the Niners had it going their way. Um, the first one, obviously, is going to be when the momentum was all in the Niners' favor, getting the ball first in the first um, half. And they're driving down the field pretty much at will. Everything's working. Uh, Kyle's calling a really diverse game. It's a run. It's a pass. It's a play-action pass. It's another run. It's a play-action pass. Just really calling a great game. And CMC uh, fumbles the ball when we're in the, uh, you know, the Chiefs' red zone. And that's never okay, of course. Um, you know, we should have started off the game 7-0. And then assuming the same thing happens on the Chiefs' possession, which of course you can't assume that that would still happen if the Niners had scored a touchdown, the Niners would have had a chance to go up 10 or 14-0 to start the game. So even though the in the immediate, the the fumble didn't really affect the Niners, uh, in the long run, it's, it's going to be a huge missed opportunity that we can't not mention. Um, additionally, some really, really out of character penalties from Trent Williams early in the game and some misassignments from the, from him too. Uh, I think this was a game to, to a game to forget for Trent Williams. I wouldn't want to look back on this one if I was him. Um, I kind of talked about this earlier, but I'll bring it up again. The opening of the third quarter, Mahomes throwing a pick and Kyle deciding to call eight pass plays out of the first nine plays resulting in zero first downs is unacceptable and I don't think I need to get more into that I already spoke about it once I just wanted to point out that that was a really big moment in this game um, obviously this one strikes some PTSD in me from when I was a kid and the Niners um, played the Giants in the NFC Championship game but the punt off of Luter's foot that Ray, did, Ray Ray did not fall on he tried to pick it up and run um, that was a huge moment in this game up until then the Chiefs had not scored a touchdown they were unable to really move the ball at all but we gave them the ball for free you know in our red zone and they were immediately able to score points off of it and so um yeah that was a huge momentum shift i think that might have been the biggest momentum shift for sure um the the, the blunders in the third quarter by kyle didn't so much shift the game into the chief's favor but it didn't push the momentum further the niners way um, the fumble, though, on the punt definitely um, was the thing that probably took the momentum out of the Niners' favor completely and gave it to the Chiefs. Um, and they you know that once you break that touchdown seal, anything is possible. And we saw that firsthand. Um, late in the game, we had Jawan Jennings on a route that was going to be an absolutely free touchdown. And a misassignment by Spencer Burford. A lot of people, I hate Colton McGivitz, so I'll just come out and say it. But a lot of people on um, you know, Twitter are blaming Colton McGivitz for the misassignment on Chris Jones. But I think if you watch closely, it, that was clearly Spencer Burford's assignment that he missed. Um, and if Brock Purdy had half a second more to really take his time and, and get his um, accuracy right on that throw, I think we're sitting here right now as Super Bowl champions. Um, but, you know, misassignments for the offensive line. The game is won and lost in the trenches. I don't care who you are. Um, and it'll come down to these key moments. And their trenches beat our trenches. And, um, and yeah, I know the Niners lost. 
Um, I will say another big moment in the game for me was Kyle electing to receive an overtime. I talked about it earlier, but um, as I do talk about key moments that kind of hurt the Niners in this game, I got to bring that up. Now, also, this one might be a little controversial. I'm not sure. I haven't been paying attention to what people think about it, but um, Kyle electing to kick the field goal um, in overtime. I think you got to be aggressive. I think you have to assume that you're playing against one of the best quarterbacks ever. You're going against one of the best coaches ever. And you have to assume that even if you kick three, they're going to score a touchdown, which they did. But you have to have that mindset and be aggressive. Uh, Obviously not with reckless abandon like Dan Campbell or something, but you still have to be an aggressive play caller. Um, Something that's said often in like fighting is you got to beat the champ. You can't just try to squeak by a decision against a champion because that's a champion. Benefit of the doubt is going to go their way. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. And multiple times in this game, the Niners didn't go for the knockout punch. They didn't stay aggressive. And Kyle so often starts coaching just to not lose. And he takes his foot off the gas and it always comes back to bite us. And I think this was another situation where Kyle absolutely should have just played with four down territory. The Chiefs are going to be in four down territory if you scored, no matter what type of points you scored. So just do the same thing. Trust your defense. I think three points is never enough against the Chiefs. I think the players felt the same way. George Kittle said it himself. You need to score touchdowns against Mahomes. Touchdowns. And I think Kittle knows that that was a bad call on Kyle's end because he said they needed touchdowns and then he said Brock did nothing wrong and so that's got to come down to play calling and decision making in my opinion um but yeah I mean those are the obviously you know the, the game them scoring a touchdown to win the game is a key moment but it doesn't really need to be said obviously that that lost the game for the Niners um in a very literal sense so I didn't want to mention that one um but the last thing that I do want to talk about is kind of where to go from here what the 49ers um, you know, look like right now, what they're going to look like in a few months, and kind of what the outcome of next season needs to be at this point. Um, so to get started, I think where the Niners stand right now is a really, really weird position. Um, year after year, they make it to the very end, and year after year, they choke it away, and then the day after the Super Bowl, the odds for the next season come out and the Niners are the favorite to win. Every year, the Niners are the favorite to win despite never winning anything. And it's so weird. It's it's the weirdest phenomenon in all of sports, in my opinion, that the Niners are constantly the favorites to win despite having never won like with this um, in this century. Um, and it really feels like they're in this weird state of purgatory right now where Kyle is too good to fire and let another team get a hold of because, you know, it'll create another great team. But he's also his own biggest roadblock and his own biggest enemy. And it's almost as if he is refusing to allow himself to be great at times. He doesn't ever just take what is given to him. He always wants to try to outsmart somebody. But most of the time, he's just outsmarting himself. And... I don't think that if nothing changes and we just continue with this regime, 
I think the same thing's going to keep happening. I think that firing Kyle, like I said, is unrealistic, but getting another person in there to kind of challenge him a bit, maybe um, somebody to kind of keep him in check that he would respect would be a great call. Obviously, you're not going to get Mike Shanahan, but just somebody who can be like, Kyle, are you sure like we're getting success here? And at least make him second guess his actions, because right now he just runs the whole show and there's nobody to stand up to him and tell him, hey, this is what we need to do. In the past, we did have players say, hey, give me the ball like Debo against the Cowboys. Give me the ball. What are you doing? And it works. And I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't know why CMC didn't go up to him and say, hey, what the hell? Give me the ball. Um, but we do need that sort of presence on this team, I think, if this team wants to win a Super Bowl. Because Kyle is his own biggest enemy and he is the biggest roadblock for this team. I think as we look forward to the draft, this draft needs to be really heavy on the O-line. I think I do not want to see another third round running back pick. We are good on running backs. We have CMC probably in its prime for one year more, maybe two years. His usage is really high and he's pushing 30. So I wouldn't guarantee more than two years of his prime left. But I think we at least have one more year of it. Um, Elijah Mitchell is never healthy, but when he is, he's obviously a really good running back. And if we could somehow figure out health, I think we're set there. And even if he does get injured, I think Jordan Mason might be the second best running back on the team, but he doesn't get utilized because he fumbled in preseason. And Kyle always has a hard time letting it go, letting mistakes go. Um, but I think this offseason, Jordan Mason will be able to really um, kind of start with a new start with a new slate with Kyle and uh, be able to prove himself. I think that he's too good to just waste away on the bench. And I don't think Kyle will be able to get away with another season of just letting him sit there and not touch the ball. So no more running backs, please. Invest in the trenches heavily because the right side of the line is terrible. Center is pretty much terrible. Aaron Banks is decent, but that's the only successful lineman the Niners have drafted in the John Lynch and uh, Kyle Shanahan era. And Trent only has like one year left, maybe. If he comes back next year, that's definitely the last year. So right now we're talking about a left guard who's good, a left tackle who's amazing, but won't be there after next year, and a bunch of crappy linemen from center over to right tackle. So the Niners have to invest heavily in this in this draft in the O-line. Um, and luckily, this is a draft where there's a ton of talent out there for the Niners to pick up um, throughout multiple rounds on the O-line. Um, they really, really need to be on their P's and Q's here and be honing in on, these, on building up an offensive line um, and building up the replacement for Trent Williams. Um, because if we wait till next year when we have to pay Purdy, or because I'm assuming we're going to want to pay him before he hits his final year of his contract, then they're not going to have money to go out and get a great left tackle. So you're going to have to draft one and have Trent teach him everything he knows in about a year and then hope he's ready the year after Trent retires to take over for this team. Um, yeah, and also regarding the draft, I don't think it would hurt to draft a quarterback later on. Um, I think we can't keep Sam Darnold. It's going to be too expensive. 
Um, and so just having another young quarterback who can kind of watch Purdy develop behind him. Obviously, with Brock being so young, I wouldn't expect a quarterback to stay long term and just be OK with being his backup for the rest of his career. Um, but I don't think just in case you never know in a Kyle Shanahan year if someone might get injured. So I think we need to have backup quarterbacks, but not spend big money on them. So drafting one late wouldn't be a bad idea in uh, my opinion. And then my final my final key point in this where to go from here section is next year is the last year with this team's, you know, core DNA. Um, with this, honestly, this year is where it really starts because guys are going to be hitting the final the final year of their contract next year. Um, like Ayuk and Huff will be hitting the final year. So if you want to extend them before that, that needs to happen this offseason. Um, and it's just unrealistic because assuming Brock Purdy doesn't fall off a cliff and is still producing at this level for next season, they're going to give him big quarterback money because assuming he can continue this play, he's a franchise quarterback. He might not be a God tier quarterback, but he is a franchise quarterback who can play well in the Super Bowl and put you in a position to be successful in the Super Bowl. He, he just proved that yesterday. So I don't know, man. I think next year is the last year where we're going to have this whole core of guys. And um, after that, I expect a full offensive build around Brock and Ayuk. Um, I don't expect Debo Samuel to be extended after his current contract. I don't think McCaffrey will either unless it's for cheap. And if he continues producing, which is hard to say if he will or not, because he is amazing, but he's getting older and running backs don't last very long, especially with the usage that he gets used. Um, so, yeah, man, and, and Trent Williams retiring, Kittle's getting up there and produce well, Kittle in the regular season was had a bit of a renaissance but he did kind of go ghost um here in the super bowl and he's getting older and a little bit he might be a little bit more injury prone so it's going to be unrealistic after next year to keep this roster it's not it's almost i can almost guarantee it's not going to happen so next year is the most important year the 49ers have had in a long time I don't think you can play next season with anything in mind other than <clears throat> we need to win Super Bowl. And if we don't, this whole era was a failure. I don't see how you can go into next year, the last year of this team, not win a Super Bowl and keep Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Um, I think... Give me a second. They put together an insane roster top to bottom. It's probably been the most consistently great roster since 2018 or 2019. I think no team has been up here as long as the Niners have. Obviously, <coughs> obviously the Chiefs have been winning Super Bowls, but the Chiefs have been winning Super Bowls from down here. The Chiefs won a Super Bowl this year from down here. The Niners keep losing from up here. They haven't dropped. They've been up here the whole time. And they can't win. Whereas we've seen lesser teams down here win Super Bowls. 
And so I don't see how after next year, if the Niners don't win a Super Bowl, you can continue to believe that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to bring you that, that title. And so I think next year it's so massive. It's going to shape the future of the franchise because after next year, if you don't win, you really got to think about, hey, do we want to keep Kyle? Hey, do we want to keep John Lynch? Hey, do we want to pay Brock Purdy big quarterback money? Like, do we trust him to stay where he's at if we have to let Kyle go? You know what I mean? So it's a it's a massive year because if they don't win and they decide, hey, we need to let Kyle go and you're taking a really big risk by keeping Brock Purdy at that point because who knows as much as I love him and I think he's great on this team. I don't know how great he would look in another system and I don't want to put the franchise back 10 more years by giving him a massive contract and moving on from the coach and then him not being what we thought he was under, you know, whoever comes in next. Um, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, it's unreal how the Niners put themselves. Kyle, Brock, not even Brock, Kyle and John and Jed have put the franchise in a position where next year can really shape the next five to 10 years of the organization. Um, and they wouldn't be in this position if they would have won in 19. They wouldn't be in this position if they would have um, beat the Rams and got to the Super Bowl against the Bengals in 21. Um, they wouldn't be in this position if in 22 they tried blo- they didn't try blocking Hassan Reddick with a third string tight end. But and they wouldn't be in the position if last or this past season they didn't just choke away another Super Bowl. But they did. And so this is where we're at. We're in a year that's going to change everything. Where everything is going to need to be perfect. And you can't guarantee players are going to stay healthy. And you can't guarantee balls are going to bounce your way. But you're going to have to try to control everything you can control to win Super Bowl next year. Or big decisions are going to be made that are going to shape the future of this franchise and it's going to shape a lot for all of us fans and it's the most important year the 49ers have had in a very long time um and yeah if they don't win it's just too many letdowns at this point and i'm not sure how much evidence ownership and the fans and the players are going to need if they get to the end of this era essentially next year with nothing to show for it so that's what i think where the niners go from here you got to go all in next year because it's the most important year of your guys's entire tenure it's one of the most important years of all of these people's careers because a team will pick up kyle if the niners let him go but who's to say that he's not just going to continue this and continue to lose if kyle wins in the 40 with the 49ers one of the most storied franchises he cements himself a legend of the sport a legend in this area he'll be able to stay with the team as long as he wants no one will question his greatness no one will question his genius but right now if it continues this way he's just gonna be a guy who underperformed and so yeah i don't know we'll see how this offseason goes 
I'm going to continue to kind of talk about the team throughout the offseason. Didn't want to start talking about the team during the season just because I was observing as a as a fan and I didn't want to give any homer takes or anything too emotional. But now that it's over, um, you know, I want to talk in the offseason kind of about how things are going. And the real premise for everything this offseason is going to be the Niners need to win the Super Bowl. And every move they make this offseason is going to be graded on a scale of how does this help push you to winning that ring? Because nothing else matters. You know, winning the NFC West doesn't matter anymore. Winning the first seed and getting home field doesn't matter anymore. And at this point, winning the NFC and getting into the Super Bowl doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters for next season is winning the Lombardi. And if they don't do it, it's all a massive failure. So everything is going to be held up to the microscope of how does this help get you that ring? But yeah, that's it for this one. I will be back with another one very soon, talking more about what I want to see in the offseason. Um, but for now, thank you all for checking out the channel video one um have a great day peace